Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast, coming to you from the wood shop at DTM Enterprises, my little wood shop in my backyard. Uh, we're here on a hot summer day, uh, 93 degrees over there on the uh, on the thermometer today, but it's not too bad in here, so we will uh, we will tackle a, a hot summer day here in, in uh, southern Indiana at uh, Podcast Studio. Uh, I want to get these commercials out of the way real quick, dtmww.net. Uh, it's my woodworking handyman business. Uh, you can also contact me at 502-292-7444 for anything on that that you need. Uh, refinishing, custom woodwork, my own symbols, uh, anything like that. The music around the podcast is brought to you by Darren Frank. Uh, any more on any information on that gentleman's music, uh, you can reach out to me at spiritualunderground.org where you can also find show notes and a contact me page. You can see pictures of the guests on there and also links to the podcasts. And finally, go to Amazon and get Christopher Cohn's 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. Uh, the late, well, It's a master's version of the uh, 12 Steps, and it's uh, available for everyone, too. So it's, 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 it's formatted to where you don't have to have the alcoholism, the addiction. For years, we've been saying, I uh, wish everybody had this program in their life and, and, and had an opportunity to work these steps. And that book has made it possible. So 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, James Christopher Cohn at Amazon. Uh, today I got another special guest. I'm just going. I just got so many special people in my life today that I, I know that I can sit here. Um, I'm a part of a podcasting group where uh, some guys get together, guys and gals get together on Facebook. It's a closed group, and we talk about it. And people are always looking for guests. And uh, one thing I have is like an endless supply almost of guests. I, I look out on the horizon. I'm like, I can do this. Um, you know, I, I'm tempted to start doing it twice a week, but I'm uh, I'm just not ready to jump into that deep. The one one new piece of content a week. So today Wayne's with us. I met Wayne uh, as soon as I you know I, I I talk about bouncing off the halls and walls of AA for about four years for my uh, initial entry into the rooms was uh, in 2011, and uh, my current sobriety date is January 1st of 2015. So those four years. I was unable to get any traction and, and what just couldn't push my chips to the middle of the table. And in 2000, uh, middle of 2014, I got caught breaking in at house and whatnot. And, and uh, the consequences got ratcheted way up on me. And about that same time, uh, I met Wayne in a meeting that was downstairs from the Spiritual Underground. Uh, I did a two for Tuesday on Tuesday nights. And we'll go to a meeting at uh, 6 p.m. and then another one at 7.30. And that, that 6 p.m. meeting was uh, called Emotional Sobriety. Uh, and it really, that meeting had a big, huge influence on my on my early recovery. There were some strong people in there. The whole concept was around Bill Wilson's uh, Grapevine article uh, titled the same, I believe it was titled Emotional Sobriety. And, uh, and we read that in the beginning of the meeting and the way a lot of people read how it works or read some of the type of... Uh, uh, AA literature we read um, emotional sobriety so uh, your sobriety day is just a little bit after mine welcome to the studio Wayne well thank you for having me and I've been wanting to get you on here we've had a little bit of business dealings down yeah. now and again together and it kind Crazy. of uh, and then also uh, some um, relationships we've uh, bumped into one another and 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 kind of reunited in a way because of that which is kind of neat uh, that 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 happened so uh, I always think everything happened for a reason and and I don't have any doubt that uh, if 
frankly, that uh, we bumped back into each other on purpose. There's, yeah. a, there's a reason for that. Emotional sobriety was an important me- meeting to my first year of sobriety, definitely. Yeah, I remember, boy, you, uh, you had a wall up for a while in there. <laughs> uh, old man, yeah. we're going to get that turned off. So we always start because I think it's really important that, uh, that, that, that people talk about. We start off with this, and it's just been a tradition here. So we'll start off with your sobriety date. It is March uh, 17th of 2015. Cool. Yeah, it's St. Patty's Day, but that's just completely a coincidence. Yeah, and the mine is uh, the same year, January 1st, New Year's Day, and that was a complete coincidence, <laughs> too. I did not mean to have that as my yeah. sobriety. There was no aim to have that as my sobriety date. I never really was a big celebrator. Uh, I never celebrated St. Patty's Day as a big deal that much, even in college, so it's kind of funny that that's how it fell. But. Yeah. Yeah, it was an excuse at times, but it just wasn't one of my big... Uh, one of my big days either i didn't see much didn't have a didn't put a lot of stock in saint patrick's day so that's about two months after uh I was, after my sobriety date and that seems about right now four something years plus away from that uh that little bit of time doesn't i always know. felt like you were so uh so further so much further along i did learn a lot in those four years of bouncing around though you know was that your first entry was that your f- that is uh that is my first technically i mean i'll go over I'll probably mention my first meeting, but for all intents and purposes, that that was my first go. Yeah. So I had about four years of actual trying and some good teachers around me where I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I just couldn't get traction. I just couldn't put things down and did a lot of pretending like I was sober and and going to meetings and and drinking on the nights I weren't wasn't going to meetings and trying to pretend like I was sober. Uh, so I had a lot of experience prior to that so that's probably was that what that was uh was you know I was you were ready yeah i finally actually was and that was the consequences got ratcheted up but anyway it's not about me this is about you so uh, let's start off with some of where, where were you where were you raised where what kind of family system did you grow up in and all right i'm from uh breckenridge county uh near rough river area nice um, born in bowling green because breckenridge county uh hospital cannot deliver babies even to this day oh yeah 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 if that tells you kind of where i'm from very small town uh atmosphere uh the county was dry until last five years or so but uh, so yeah it's just, changed a lot in kentucky across has. the state it was uh and uh so uh you know my mother and father uh were married uh they divorced about two when i was about two and my father is not part of my story has not been in my life um you know but my my mother's a big part of my story uh she uh she battled with same uh addiction um or addiction issues i will say and i was actually raised by my grandmother Hmm. um so when I was about, the first thing, I guess, that kind of sticks out, when I was three, my, um, I got burned on 15% of my body, third and fourth degree burns on 15% of my body. And uh, that, was, that plays into uh, later in my childhood a little bit. But um, How'd that happen? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, so I was raised on a farm, and we burned our trash in 55-gallon barrels. And uh, this is such a silly story, but uh, my grandfather and I were riding around, uh, you know, our town there, Hardensburg, and uh, we saw a fire truck. I asked him what it did, and he told me, you know, puts out fires. And so when we got home, 
he was in the garden, tending the garden and, and distracted. And I was running around, decided I was going to be a fireman. I was going to practice being a fireman. So uh, the trash uh, barrel was burning. So I filled up a container full of water, went over to that barrel to practice putting it out. Well, unfortunately, that was a gas container I'd picked up and filled with water. And there was enough gas and fumes left in that uh, and it just uh, resulted in about... 15 to 20 percent of my body having third and fourth degree burns wow um i was in the hospital about three four months really dang mm-hmm. god yeah up here in louisville uh but uh as I, a three-year-old as a three-year-old so do you really remember it or was it this story that's told to you that you remember more than the actual the only thing i remember the stories they've told me um i feel like i remember the because they had to take me via ambulance from the hospital in in Hardensburg there up to Louisville and pack I was packed in ice and I feel like I remember that but I don't you know yeah. I don't have a lot of memories from early early childhood so maybe that's just one they had told me and it yeah I wonder about stuff. that too I have some of those memories yeah. and I and I and it feels like they're really mine but but I believe that they're, they were told to me enough times that I now have like imp, I've imprinted them memories as a memory tricky, tricky things too. yeah. Uh, because we moved in this house when I was three, and I have remembrance of that. I mean, I can remember a couple of things. I can remember that uh, one of the things I can remember is that Dad pulled out the medicine cabinet in what was my mom's bathroom, and it had one of them razor blade dispensaries in the back of the medicine cabinet. I don't know back with, with the uh, single-edge razor blades. They'd have a slot in the medicine cabinet, and they would just drop them down in the stud wall. Okay. You know, to dispose of them because oh, it was wow. safe back in there. You know, it'd have yeah. a little slot. Okay. You know? and, uh, and he had changed that out, and I remember getting a hold of one of the razor blades. I cut myself. And, and now, see, I, I know I remember that, but yeah. but it could be that I was told the story enough time. That's true. That uh, that I don't that I don't that you know it's imprinted. Same thing about a few of those things. But it's interesting. But yeah. something as traumatic as that, because I talk about that a lot in here on the podcast, is these trauma situations that happen to us. You know, and that's not like something that was like a violent trauma or something that was like you know uh, a deed done to you. You know, no, where you pick it up. Wasn't. But still yet, uh, as a little kid spending a number of months in a hospital, uh, that is trauma. That's traumatic. And plus, I'm sure it was painful as all get out. You probably don't yeah. remember it, but I, I know it had pain. to be, right? Huh? I mean, it had to be. Yeah, I'm sure. I was. Uh, I, I want to step back just for a second. Absolutely, so man. We're just when we, uh We'll talk about, obviously, our first drinks later, but supposedly... According to uh, my mother, uh, while her and my mother or her and my father were still married, so before that age of two, around that age of two, uh, they had had a huge party, and so everybody's like passed out, and I go around as like a two-year-old and start drinking all the leftover drinks. So supposedly I had a rough two days after that because because so I, I jokingly will say my first drink was at the age of two but that's interesting you know uh, yeah so uh but to get back on i guess more points so that happened to me at three and that does play a, a, a decent uh factor in my life early childhood especially um but uh like i say i, I my uh my mother was in and out of my life um but my grandmother mainly raised me uh my mother was in rehab several times um I, I, I don't even know the exact number because she's passed away now, but uh, I, I know it was several times. She had a couple uh, suicide attempts that were unsuccessful, and so she really fought um, 
fought hard with that. But my grandmother, uh, I call her my mamaw, she's very important to me. She raised me in a very loving, stable environment. Um, and my mother was in, in, in my life. Um, she just wasn't a steady influence. Um, and she cared about me. You know, I, I was lucky. I had aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and uh, so I didn't, you know, have have a super traumatic, um, you know, in certain aspects. I do, the few times, there were some things with my mother when I would try to live with her. Um, I remember we, I was really young, let's say five or six, and I was with her on my birthday. And uh, she threw a little party for me. And we were living, we moved around uh, a little bit when I did try to live with her. Uh, uh, we lived in Louisville, uh, Cincinnati, New Jersey, some different areas. So I, I lived with her occasionally. It wasn't all my grandmother. But I remember this one time, um, it was my birthday, and I was probably five, six, and and she, uh, she threw me a little deal, and then she uh, she decided to go out that night. And she made me promise not to tell my, my grandmother if she called that she was out. Just say she went to the grocery. But she left me alone on my birthday. You know, oh, things wow. like that. So How do you think you were? Probably five or six. Really? Yeah, I was fairly young um I was fairly young and and uh let's see so I did I'll bring that those this, I'm I'm scarred from those burns uh mainly my right leg a little bit my left leg some other scars elsewhere and so kids as you know can be incredibly mean mm-hmm. and so I did get made fun of uh a lot over my scars as a so that that uh introduced some angst um into the equation i also remember you know we i we hear in the rooms um that we never felt a lot of people say uh that they never felt a part of or they they always felt different i guess um yep, and that never was felt a part of always felt separate from everybody else felt like we were on the outside yeah. couldn't be comfortable in our own skin I was definitely not comfortable in my own. I would not wear shorts for until I almost was actually probably in college, even high school. I hated wearing shorts um, because of scars. Mm-hmm. Because of the scars, and um, the other thing, my mother embarrassed me. So my my family is super respect. I was embarrassed to my mother. I would say she didn't embarrass me, but um, she, my family is extremely respected where my I'm from. Uh, my grandfather was till he passed away my grandmother's extremely respected and then my uncle was uh uh the county clerk for years and so just pretty much the entire family's respected but when i was with my grandmother and somebody would be like now which one which one are you because she'd introduce me as her grandson and i'd say or we'd say i'm nancy's and uh she uh the look on people's face Mm. was like oh you know like oh okay and so I, I was, I was embarrassed of, uh, of that. And then, and then yeah, that's tough. I, I mean, I, I mean, you think of a little kid and again, those little, those little tweaks like that. I mean, I know like it's not, and you kind of want to like set it aside, but that's all that, uh, you know, any one little thing in itself is not the thing, right? It's the piling up of the multiple of this going on, you know, these, these different things, uh, cumulative effect. And you also know you're, we're, uh, similar ages um, that you you didn't have as much like I didn't deal with it back then there wasn't therapy or any you just you know I dealt with it internally stuff it yeah and I remember um, 
I heard somebody, and it may have been on one of your podcasts I listened to, talk about um, being maybe passively suicidal. And I would say that's I I wanted to as there was times that I wanted I didn't want to be alive anymore, but I didn't really take any measure to that um, for whatever reason. That was never. I don't know if I was too. We didn't have a lot of guns around my house. My grandfather died when I was in third grade, so it was just me and my grandmother on this big farm. And um, so I don't know if you know how things would have played out if if things had been different. But we didn't really have guns on the farm and and uh, things like that. But anyway, my you know I was was a fairly good kid. Um, I, I made good grades. I played sports. I wasn't very good at sports. Um, I love sports, just not athletically gifted Hmm. um the only thing i really did to act out as a kid and i'm not downplaying this it's not is i i would steal uh baseball cards and playboys (laughs) i would steal those two things fairly consistently i never got caught or any kind of um repercussions really over that but you know that other than that you know i i made good grades I like from what a drugstore kind of thing or from a walmart was where i got the, uh, the baseball cards and then yeah like uh the playboys would be like little convenience stores yeah and uh, but i was very curious obviously like i think any uh, a mm-hmm. lot of young sure. men are um you know then uh again uh my, i'm trying to think uh get back on point here uh you know i will tell you one thing that will come up later is uh I equated my mother's problems, even though I knew she was drink all the time. Um, for whatever reason, I equated her issues more with pot. I don't know why. Um, I, I'm sure she did other drugs too. We didn't have a lot of talks about that. Um, but um, so I, I equated that as her issue. But uh, I decided uh, third grade, I'd gone down to see her for the summer. And I had a bad habit. This came up a few times in my life, uh, early childhood. Of I hated to tell people no. Um, and so after the summer was over, she asked me to stay in, in uh, Georgia with her. I was like, okay. So we lived in this trailer in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Uh, and I went to school down there for about half my third grade year. We, uh, But she, uh, I would get home from school and uh, end up putting myself to bed at night before she ever got home from being at work then out. Um, I had some neighbors that kept an eye on me, but other than that, for most of those few months, uh, I spent just kind of by myself, and I I hated it. So at that point, I told her I was moving back in with my grandmother up here in Kentucky, and she could do whatever she wanted. Um, We both came back, but she was... And, you know, she'd be some with us, some in other parts um, of the state doing different things. But uh, so that's when I went back and lived with my grandmother from that point until I graduated high school. Um, So nothing else really crazy happened uh, in my actual childhood. Uh, You know, um, I had some glasses, a bad haircut, some acne, those scars. So seventh eighth grade even freshman year were weren't very fun um yeah i just i still today like i can't get over how self-conscious i was of every little uh, every little uh flaw 
you know, it didn't make any difference. A hair out of place, uh, a smallest little pimple, yeah. uh, any kind oh, of I thing. Oh, I had the acne, too. Yeah, yeah. any, any didn't make any difference. You know, it could be a bunch or a little. Uh, yeah, the, the hypersensitivity to our, our appearances. Yeah, that was, I think uh, that's always been, even to this day, I still deal. I should probably be a little more comfortable in my own skin than I am, but uh, I definitely struggled with that then until, um, you know, I then uh, I was playing sports uh, football my freshman and sophomore year, and so uh, I got contacts and the acne started clearing up a little bit, and um, I, I started to get a lot more comfortable in my skin. Uh, still making decent grades. Um, then I had a car accident that uh my sophomore year i i i had my license early uh so sophomore year i had a car accident and i decided not to uh, play sports anymore i got a job to get another vehicle uh and then um i guess we'll get to the first drink part i uh i'd had drinks here and there i'm not gonna say this is my first drink but it was my first real drunk my cousin uh, who's about 10 years older than me, a great guy. He uh, he was working in uh, Ohio somewhere, and he had decided to buy me a, a, you know, a very inexpensive car so I'd have something to drive after I wrecked the other wow. one. Wow. Yeah. So I went up to visit him, and um, I was 16. He was He's 26 at the time. I think he's almost exactly 10 years older than me. So I go up to visit him, and the plan was uh, we were going to drive. I was going to drive the new car back. Well, so that that night we're hanging out with some friends of his all you know in that 26 maybe a little younger range but but considerably older than me and we uh they they uh they decide it'd be fun to uh to let me drink and um so i i drink pretty hardcore i think i did some keg stands uh the main thing i remember is uh at one point uh, i guess they were being so loud and and maybe yucking it up about having a 16-year-old drunk that the cops got called. So they shoved me uh, in the guy's bedroom uh, to kind of hide me while the cops showed up. And and while they did this, uh, I, I vomited it all over this guy's silk sheets that he was very proud of. I mean, just destroyed them, <laughs> which did not go over very well. Yeah, My cousin may have had, may have had to uh, give him some money to replace those sheets. But uh, the next morning when we get up, my cousin was kind of in a way uh, maybe hoping to scare me a little bit with, with that first drunk. I don't know necessarily his thought process, but I'd gotten drunk so early and slept, uh, slept it off that I basically didn't have a hangover. So I, there was really no negative consequences to, to that. Huh. Um, you know, so that was, that was uh, I guess, what we'll call my first drunk about 16. And um, in high school, uh, from that point on, uh, I don't know how it was where you grew up, but, um, you know, I partied maybe every other weekend. And that was considered maybe mid-level partying. I wasn't considered a party party kid by any means, but um, I, would, uh, I, would, I would drink to get drunk. Uh, I didn't like the taste of beer at all, so I would drink vodka. Get like that's better. Yeah, and uh, but the thing is, and this was just a high school thing, um, I would almost always get sick. Hmm. And it was also the only time... Uh, so in you my, were a puker. In high school, just in high school, and just off vodka mainly. 
Um, and it was also the only time that I really showed any violent tendencies when I was drinking. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, other than that, like I say, about every other weekend, um, no real consequences. Um, I would drive home some, and uh, but but nothing really happened. I, I do remember a few times my mother got three DUIs in the span of two years. And I remember a couple times I'd be stone cold sober and get pulled over by state policemen just because of who my mother was. And they would to give me field sobriety tests, make sure. Oh yeah, yeah, that you're sober. And it happened sober, uh, luckily. Um, so let's see. Then uh, when I graduated, at, going into my senior year, I was going to go to the University of Kentucky. My whole life, big UK fan. Really, the only place I was going to go. Uh, and I had a partial scholarship. I uh, I I made good grades. Um, not great grades, probably graduated high school with like a three, four, but I could always, uh, kill a standardized test. So my ACT score was enough to get me some scholarships. Um, so I went to visit the university of Kentucky. It was the only place I'd ever applied to only place I was going and Breckenridge County, um, high school at the time has about 800 people in it. Total. Total. 200. 200 people in a graduating class. So when I went to visit the University of Kentucky, it kind of overwhelmed me. The sheer size, there was talks of, um, you know, general education classes uh, having uh, five, 500 people in them. Or at least I remember it could have been 200, 300, who knows. But it, it, it blew me away. And for some reason, Murray State contacted me to uh, – uh, the accounting department there because that was my interest at the time I liked high school accounting classes I knew you could make some decent money um, so the accounting department at Murray State contacted me asked me to apply and visit and I did and I, I ended up getting a full scholarship to Murray wow it was uh, uh, and I just fell in love with the campus you know when I went down there um, just a more you know, I'm I'm grown up mainly in small town Kentucky, mainly in smaller towns. It was what I was used to, so I ended up uh, deciding to go to uh, Murray State. Um, a few people from my graduating class went there, but I also looked at it as a fresh start. In high school, um, I was I, I was a weird combination of I was friends with I could be friends with a lot of different people, and I was friends with some very popular people, even though I wouldn't have been considered that group i was i was friends with so many people and and i wanted to get away because at the time i think uh 75 of breckenridge county went to western kentucky it was a a lot and uh, i did not want to go to wku i wanted to you know start over in a way go someplace else yeah so uh so that's how i ended up going to murray state uh 96 was when i graduated high school and went down to murray um you know, just to jump in, because there's a couple of things that's, that's caught me. One of them is a little bit of jokey. Um, the fact that you grew up in a farm in rural Kentucky and there's no guns around. People are probably yeah. not going to believe that you actually lived in Kentucky and that was the case. I am. Uh, uh, well, my cousins, my cousins hunted. and uh, But I, I am from, when you think of rural Kentucky, that is where I'm from. And I'm very much more city. Yeah. Even when I was growing up, I, I didn't. Um, 
I didn't feel like I fit in down there. Yeah. I didn't. I, I I formed my. I have a cousin that if you looked up the definition of a redneck in the uh, dictionary, I think there's a picture of him. <laughs> okay, he worked at a factory full time and farm full time. I don't think he ever slept. But I did some tobacco with him. I did you know farming. I did some different things, but I hated it. I just that was not what I enjoyed. Um, there's another thing that rang my bell was, uh, and I think it might be is like. Um, It's a precursor to our, I think, our, our, our continuing using and stuff is this, this ability to, like, uh, this chameleon thing where we can fold ourselves into these multiple social groups where we can actually be in, this, in, these, in, in these multiple social groups and, and, and find ourselves fitting in. You know what I mean? The same thing with the mask wearing. I know I became a pro with that. Where I, and I know I did the same thing when high school. You know, I could yeah. hang out with the what we called the hoods. <laughs> or I could hang out with the preps. And I did play yeah. ball and, and play sports and stuff. And that was kind of the end. Pop your polo collar and all that. Yeah. Or I could have on my jeans jacket and yeah. and, uh, and tore up blue jeans and, and black boots and that kind of stuff. And hang out with that crowd, too. Yeah, I got along with with most everybody. I mean, there were a few people that didn't like me. You know how that is. Sure, but yeah. I, I didn't. But I don't remember. You know, I don't remember a lot of other people doing that. You know, most people were predominantly one or the other. I agree. And, and I found myself finding spots according yeah. to what I needed to be doing in any particular day to 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 fit in with the crowd that that served me for my purpose at that point in time. And I got high and drunk with both groups. Did you? I will tell you that I, I do feel, uh, for the longest time, I felt I was probably my most mature as a, a, a 15, 16, 17-year-old, um, just because of some stuff, uh, some stories I left out with my mom that kind of happened during that time, and and I feel like I stopped maturing about the time I got to college. Uh, hmm. For Maybe it was because I went out on my my own or, or whatever. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, but uh, I felt like, or, well, I would say I felt like I was a little better person uh, than I ended up becoming i will tell you uh get get back on uh so again i was drinking about every other weekend actually this happened my never mind i I lost my time time frame um so i got to college at murray um freshman year went fine I, i i i don't know how much i drank i drank a lot you know i partied a lot um my grades were okay i had to keep a three two to keep my scholarship and it it fell right below uh, three one six, uh, so I had to take um, I had to take a summer course at Owensboro Community College um, to keep my my grade point average to keep my scholarship for that next year. So the summer uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, I worked at a, uh, a paper paper factory paper mill Willamette. It's in Hancock County and did that summer class and uh the good thing is that cousin the one i talked about that uh i first got drunk with he uh he had a house in breckenridge county but he worked construction and he'd work anywhere from georgia to tennessee to ohio uh and so he was not in town during the week and so he let me stay at his house during the summer so i wouldn't have to go back to living in a house with rules with uh with my grandmother and I will tell you my grandmother uh the one thing I I, it's funny how when we get older we we regret some of our actions uh and uh as a high school junior and senior I would go out uh she would tell me my curfew would be midnight on the weekend 
and I would go out to hang out with a girlfriend or hang out with friends. And I'd stay out till two or three in the morning and come back. And, and she just, you know, she's a 60, 70 year old woman, not really expecting to have to raise a teenager at that point. And she couldn't really discipline me. So she'd, she'd be like, you're late. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. And I'd go to bed. And I realized now she was up until that point worrying. She was always up and uh until i got home she would never go to bed until i got home so it's like you know yeah. i realized how uh selfish that behavior was but right. at the time i just wanted to do what i wanted to do yeah um and i think like a lot of people i, I did not ever enjoy being told what to do still don't uh, i've gotten a little better <laughs> yeah i'm better too but i still don't like <laughs> yeah. it i still don't like it a bit i i don't but uh so i didn't want to move back home to even have those vague rules um so i lived at my cousin's house and so i basically drank every night um i'd go to work school and then drink and um i remember there was a, a guy I was kind of hanging out with it was you know how high school goes a little longer than college so he was wrapping up his his senior high school um and uh, we, he, I guess his parents didn't care what he did because he just hang out with me all night drinking vodka. Um, and he tried to get me to smoke weed, and I was like, no, no, I draw the line. I don't do drugs. I just mm-hmm. drink. Because again, I never equated for whatever reason. I never equated my mother's issues with with that. I just, I was like, drugs, drugs are the devil. You know, I, I didn't say that. But anyway, I just wouldn't do drugs. So, um. But that summer, I ended up getting an A in that class and keeping my scholarship. And that was the last time I lived in Brett County. I didn't go home any more summers. Um, and then I went back to Murray. I, uh, I joined a fraternity my sophomore year. Um, I was kind of against it my freshman year. And then I, I, some of the guys on my floor that I, I liked, they were in a fraternity. So I decided to join a fraternity, uh, which obviously ramped up my... Uh, drinking even more it gave me uh e- even easier ease easier access to it um murray at the time was dry uh you had to drive 10 minutes into tennessee to go to bars or get get alcohol hmm. murray was dry so the the greek system was huge house parties and parties in general um so uh sophomore year again nothing real crazy um i started liking beer though which is, I told you, in high school and early college, I did not like beer. But one day, I just took a drink of Miller Lite and fell that in love. That was my brand. Fell in love. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, from that point on, I was a beer man. And I never got sick anymore, really. Um, that was not something. Uh, and I could drink a lot of them. I For could. a while, I had a buddy who drank Budweiser. Budweiser. And, uh, and I would, you know, because just the ease of having this drinking the same thing, yeah. but I would get, I would, I would overshoot the mark on the bud, you know? Would, and then I, when I switched over and started drinking Miller Lite, I could pretty much drink as many of those as, you know, as, as I wanted to. I would never ended up, because I liked to party long, you know, I didn't want to party the end. Yeah. I was never a, a heavy beer drinker. Uh, I got into Guinness a little bit later down the road uh, in adulthood, but I was, uh, adulthood, um, I think the first thing I drank was Bushlight for some reason, and then cheap. Uh, yeah, cheap. And then, uh, but Miller Light was my brand. Me too. Miller. Um, you know, I started uh, drinking and driving pretty consistently. Um, 
just uh, for whatever reason, um, I was the one who would always be in charge of getting us home. I guess I was fairly good at it. Um, and uh, But I wouldn't drink any less than, than anybody else or let it curb, uh, curb what I was drinking. But, um, you know, college went on. I, I actually got to one point where um, I wanted to quit school, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just, I did, I never enjoyed school and I, I didn't like it and I didn't know, but I was in this rut. Um, it was probably about my third year. I went to Murray for seven years to get a undergraduate degree, by the way, seven years to get a four year degree. So I like to joke in my first junior year. Uh, yeah. I heard uh, one of my favorite speakers the other day said he, he, so I'll say it in years and I zipped through college in seven years. Zip through it? <laughs> I didn't zip through it. <laughs> well, he said that in, yeah. link, you know, in, in the longer term than. Uh, it was, uh, I enjoyed, but I enjoyed the social. I just could not stand the class. Yeah. Um, if I didn't like a subject, uh, I couldn't, couldn't focus on it. Um, so. Again, I'm still just mainly drinking. Um, then, uh, at some point, about that time, I don't remember the exact age. I was about 22. Um, so my fourth year of college or so, I all of a sudden just said, uh, "F it." Um, I don't know what changed. Again, I don't. Nothing stands out, but I just basically said, "Screw it," and I. I uh, started doing ecstasy. Really? Yeah. I just, I, I was like, I'm going to. Jump from not doing, from anti-drug guy to I'm going to be start doing X. Ecstasy. And, uh, and I did a lot. Um, but, you know, and, and then I introduced, um, you know, you, you just mentioned something that you never wanted the party to end. Well, I didn't get sick. I didn't really black out much. But what I would do is I'd pass out early. Okay, because I just could not, you know, I could not pace myself. I just drank. I drank and I drank and I drank until my body told me it was time to go to bed. And I would, yep. leave, I would leave a party. I'd be like, I, I got to go. It's time. My body's shutting down. You know, I'd leave the party. Uh, so I've, I've introduced now one extracurricular into my repertoire, and I decide that I'm tired of being the first one to leave parties. So I introduced cocaine into my my mix at that point. That keeps you partying. I want to be able to drink more. Yeah. And well, unfortunately, what it did was it kept me up way later than anybody else. <laughs> uh, yep. Now I'm now I'm watching the sun come up. Yeah. And I didn't get any sleep last night. And nobody. And I'm gonna do it again tonight. <laughs> and somehow or another, I'm gonna have to get some sleep between now and then, or keep doing the cocaine to stay up. And I would call people, and they'd be like, "I'm in bed," and I'd be like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> you know, I was I was bored out of my mind at like six in the morning, and everybody else had been asleep for two or three hours." Yeah. Um, and I actually, uh, you know, again, I I, I was uh, I was never suicidal, but but I also didn't think I was going to live long. I did not th- think I would hit, see the age of thirty, and this was probably twenty two, twenty three. And I lost direction in. I was still in school. I never got kicked out of school. But basically what I would do, this is the reason it took me seven years, is say I started a semester with 12 hours or 15 hours. If I started to fail a class or couldn't make it because it was at 8 8 a.m. and I had to schedule that class, 
I would end up dropping classes. Um, now I worked the entire time, um, you know, but that's why it took me so long. And, and I, I never finished for a similar kind of reason. I just would drop classes. I just couldn't keep it up. And then I would end up dropping them before I would fail out. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was my MO. Uh, and, uh, I just, I did not want to graduate. Did not know what I was going to do. I actually did lose, you know, I don't admit this often. Um, uh, I actually, the first consequence I really had, two of them I'll bring up real quick in college. Uh, first one was I, I got fired from a job. I'd worked at a Blockbuster video mm-hmm. for about uh, two and a half years. I was very miserable uh, because that job is not as fun as you might think it would be. Uh, and uh, one night I went out. I had to work the next morning at whatever time, and I went out, and I proceeded to do so much stuff it was crazy some things i haven't even mentioned yet uh you know and uh some homemade wine got involved at one point when i'd already been drinking and uh i just didn't go to work the next day and so i my my friend was my boss and she had to fire me Mm. um and so i lost my job and i decided at that point um that i wasn't gonna get a job right away and i wasn't gonna pay any bills but man was i gonna max out my credit cards and so that's what I did for a few months. Then, I, I kind of think this is impressive, but now it's, uh, it's not something to be proud of in sobriety. But um, I actually got almost got kicked out of my fraternity um, for the drugs. Me and another guy um, basically got uh, banned from the house. We were living in, I was living in a house. I got kicked out of living in the house, and we both got banned for the house for a semester and had to do... Um, certain things uh, we were supposed to quit doing drugs and um, and we were supposed to go to AA meetings so in Paducah, Kentucky which was about 45 minutes from Murray I was supposed to do I think once or twice a month I was supposed to do AA meetings if I wanted to stay in the fraternity we both agreed to do it I think I went to one AA meeting so I don't remember that was my first meeting ever I went to it stayed never went back because I realized there was no way they could check it. So I lied about going every couple of weeks. Yeah. I would actually drive to Paducah and go out drinking. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, so those were, you know, I would say I didn't have a lot of consequences in college, but those are two pretty big ones. Um, I didn't, again, I didn't think I had a problem. Um, I didn't really care if I had a problem either. I was just living life. Um, then um, I got a... Got another job at another now defunct company, Radio Shack. So I don't know if that says something about my work history or not. <laughs> but uh, I ended up getting a little bit back on track. Um, somebody else told a similar story not too long ago that I heard somebody say that they had worked it to. It was the guy who took us rafting. It was our guide on their whitewater oh, rafting yeah. trip. It yeah. said one Radio Shack was one of the places he yeah. worked to. It was, you know, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> He said he just these places that he worked at were no longer mm-hmm. in business anymore. And it wasn't my favorite he job. He was praying was for his fine. current employer. It was a fine job. I uh, and I convinced at that point most of my friends because a lot of my friends actually didn't. They drank heavily, and and it's funny. My boss that hired me at Radio Shack, he's like now he was my be- one of my best friends. He's like, I don't care if you drink. We drink all we want, but you got to stop the drugs. And I was like, okay. I did more after, because again, I hated being told what to do. Yeah. 
And so I just got better at hiding it. Um, well, let's see. So then, uh, you know, I decided, uh, it's, I'll go ahead and this is an embarrassing story, but I'm about 24, still in college, still in a fraternity, still doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I still didn't really want to graduate. Just, I mean, I didn't want to grow up. And I took, uh, we had these things called formal. Uh, no, anyway, it was some fraternity event. I took a friend's uh, little sister. A friend's little sister wanted to go, right? She was a freshman. And uh, so I took her because I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And we're sitting there, and uh, and we're at the event. And somehow my age comes up. And, and she's like, you're 24? And she's like an 18-year-old freshman. So at that point, I realized I needed to graduate soon. <laughs> so uh so that that motivated me that's the whole reason i got my college degree right there is i, I got embarrassed i guess <laughs> uh, you know so uh everything's going well for the most part except i'm miserable inside i'm very miserable um got a girlfriend um but i'm still doing doing drugs i'm still drinking i i drank probably my last three years of college i drank six or seven nights a week i went out six or seven nights a week um and then uh i got a job with sherwin williams um once i graduated and i knew i needed to get out of murray you know i needed to change i needed a geographical change you may have heard the, that and i needed one uh so they sent me to marion illinois with Sherwin-Williams, which is about an hour and a half from Murray. The problem is that's not very far from Murray. Um, and and I took myself up to Marion, Illinois, too, is another part of the problem. But I got up there, and I worked for about a year with Sherwin. Um, and uh, then uh, I would, but I would still go back to Murray and do some of that same stuff. You know, I was still doing... Uh, the extracurriculars I was drinking and driving a lot and um at that point um my boss got promoted here to Louisville and I asked him pretty much immediately if he would try to get me transferred because that would put me closer to my family I had some friends that lived in Louisville because I didn't know anyone in in Illinois I became friends with uh some people but I didn't know anyone from Illinois uh it always cracked me up to, uh, I think Tennessee, Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky are very similar people, very similar states, but they all make fun of each other. Mm -hmm. So the people in Illinois would always ask me where my, what I was doing wearing shoes, and I was like, I don't even hunt or, or do all this stuff that yeah. you all do, and you're calling me a redneck because I'm from <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I made some good friends of guys. I'm still a couple guys. I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, I don't see them that often. Maybe once a year at our our national meeting. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to move back, get closer to home, and get another change. Because uh, again, I was too close to Murray, too close to old uh, old habits. And so I came to Louisville, uh, and I was able to. That did help me, which is funny because Louisville being a bigger city, you'd think you'd have more access to things. But it actually, because I didn't know anybody in th that world, I started drinking only. Um, 
again, which, um, so, so, uh, that slowed down a little bit. Some of my problems, uh, still very unhappy. Um, my mother actually, uh, was, we'll say she was sober. Um, her last eight years of life, uh, I don't think she did much of a program. Uh, she did a little bit of one and then I think she just didn't, she was dry. Um, so she became, uh, you know, we kind of, I kind of forgave her, uh, cause I did hold, uh, a resentment, resentments for years. Um, and I consider her more of a friend than anything, but we became close her last few years. And so she would, she would come up, spend a lot of time with me here in Louisville. Um, my, uh, she lived with my grandmother at the time. Uh, they lived together. And then, you know, I was still drinking and driving a lot, going out a lot wasn't really affecting my work much at all um then when i was 30 my son was born um and i decided at that point when he was born that uh i was gonna set certain rules for myself i didn't want him to grow up uh seeing some of the things i'd seen being a being in, uh, exposed to some of that stuff. So, uh, I decided, uh, to set rules for myself and uh, I wanted to give him every chance I could for him to be healthy, happy, and well-adjusted. And so, uh, I was, I wasn't with his mother, so I would only have him three days a week. Um, and so I wouldn't drink those three days. I cut out everything completely, everything else. I would just drink and I wouldn't drink on any time I had my son, and I would stop drinking and driving because that was going to put my uh, job at risk. You know, not only, I mean, that was how my mindset, that's not the only thing wrong with drinking and driving, but that was my mindset yeah. was I could lose my job if I got a DUI. So those were rules I set at the age of 30 um, when he was born. And again, I will tell you, uh, the consequences haven't been huge to this point, but I was, I was so unhappy. I was so miserable. I never dealt with some of that stuff from my childhood, and, and I'm throwing a, a depressant and alcohol on top of it. And um, and so, uh, and I'm drinking the other three or four nights. I don't have him. I am I'm drinking as soon as I got off work. And so those making five up for it on those nights when you didn't have. I did, and those five or six years from college to uh, to the time he was born, I drank every night. I didn't even think about it. As soon as I got off work, I drank. If I didn't work, I drank as soon as I woke up. Um, you know, but I still would tell you I did not have a problem because I'd seen an alcoholic in action. And, and you know, I, I, I didn't really have the shakes. I didn't, I could, you know, there was all these things in my mind I, I equated with being an alcoholic, and I, I didn't have those issues. You yeah. Know? It's um, another bell ringer, man. Everybody does that, you know. You know. It's like you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Exactly. Um, you can't I hold a job. You can't have these things in my life and have, be an alcoholic. Uh, have some skewed vision of the alcoholic under the under the bridge. passes and and that kind of stuff and all these reasons why I'm not that. I, w- I would also get frustrated if anybody called me crazy or an alcoholic. I'd get. I did not like those terms. Now I I was a heavy drinker. I wasn't an alcoholic, and uh, yeah. but if I ever started to feel bad about myself, uh, I would watch an episode of um, Intervention. Oh, yeah. yeah, I would watch that, and that would uh, prove to me I wasn't an alcoholic, you know, 
because obviously there's times I knew what I was doing wasn't wasn't normal and and uh, so but yeah that uh, you watch a you watch an episode or two of Intervention and you think you're doing just fine. Yep. Well, I certainly did. Uh, I could say, you know, I'd say this before, but nice house, nice wife, two kids, two cars in a garage, a garage, held a job for a long time. You couldn't do all that stuff and be an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. You couldn't do it. That's and, exactly how I thought. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I was wrong. I was, I, you know, I think, which we'll get to this, but I think looking back now, I knew all along. I just didn't want to admit it. Yeah, it's uh, back there, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to. Look in the mirror at yourself and you're like going, dang, dude. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to. I didn't know any different, you know. Um, and I didn't really, I, I even didn't even realize I was unhappy, if that makes sense. I, I was, um, but I didn't realize I was uh, as unhappy as I was. Um, you know, so my son, uh, um, he's a big part of, uh, he's an important part of my story. He was born, and I set those rules. Um, I, I did okay at first, you know. Um, then when he was about two, two, three, my mom passed away from a brain aneurysm. Um, but she did die without drinking or drugging the last few years of her life. And, and she was a great grandmother to my son and, and we got along well. And it was really hard on my grandmother cause they lived together and I, I hated it for her. Um, but, um, you know, she passed away and, and, uh, for about, let's say my son was born when I was two or three years, I really held well to those rules really well to those rules and then um i started after he'd go to bed i'd have two two beers you know i'd say just a I, couple yeah i deserve a couple after he goes to bed even though What's i'm the harm? even though i'm the only person like if some emergency happens in the middle of the night i'm the only person there with him i i decided it was okay to start having a, a couple drinks and I will tell you, over the next two or three years, I, I, I was able to keep that to two to four drinks, two to five on those nights. Um, but but it, would, it started becoming more like three or four instead of the two. Uh, you know, but the, so that was the first rule that kind of started to go on, on those rules I'd set for myself. I, um, another thing I would do is uh, I would schedule my off days to be able to maximize my drinking instead of being able to maximize my amount of time I could spend with my son uh, I would make sure my off days were nights where I could drink all night and drink the next day if I needed to you know so I, I really factored that in and if his mother wanted to switch a night um, I, I hated it because I you know I've already stayed somewhat sober for two nights that I've had him or whatever and now I got to do another night when I'm supposed to, you know, and I, di I didn't think this, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking, but now I know what it was thinking. That's why I'd get so upset if she wanted to switch a night was because I'd been working hard to keep myself good for two nights and now my next night. But anyway. Yeah, I can only manage so long, you know, yeah. and that's the same thing with those number of beers thing, yeah. you know, I mean, we're sitting here trying to manage this thing. That's what I was trying I'm, to do. Yeah. I was trying to do it. Um, because you wouldn't be able to sustain that, you know. It was just a matter of time before that ramped up. Like I say, I was, I was. Uh, that was what year three or four about. Um, uh, he was about three or four. And then the other thing that the next thing that went was, uh, you know, when I'm sitting, even 
when I was drinking and the madness. When I hadn't drank yet, I knew drinking and driving was reckless. It was stupid. It was everything you can think dangerous. But you put one beer in me. Just one beer. And now I, I'm fine. I'm good. And so that was the next thing is I started uh, uh, drinking and driving again at night when I'd be out with friends instead of uh, leaving the car at that bar that we, which was the plan when the night started. Uh, I, no, I can drive us to the next place, but then I won't drive out. Then I drive us to the next place and I drive us, you know, I drive myself home. So that was the next rule to go. Um, so I've broken two of the three main rules that I've set for myself uh, when my son was born. Um, and then I guess if we want to lead up to uh, that last year I was drinking or so, I was really breaking those rules consistently. Um, and then I, I had started seeing a, a girl. Um, we weren't official or anything. We were just kind of loosely dating. Um, and, uh, and some things happened that I wasn't, uh, that didn't go my way. She ended up with one of my friends, and I took that personally. Um, and I used that and then all of a sudden access as an excuse to dive into some of those extracurriculars again. So now I've broken all three rules that I've set for myself when my son was born. And uh, I will tell you at this point I'm in full, full misery, self-misery. You know, I'm miserable <laughs> internally. Uh, I didn't want to kill myself because I thought... I didn't want my son to have to live with that, yep. but I wanted to die. And I thought somehow drinking myself to death would be more easier for him to deal with. Mm. Uh, so that I, I went to bed at night not wanting to wake up. Um, you know, all this stuff, I, I would fantasize about dying while saving somebody, so it was a heroic death. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I was miserable. I could not, uh, I didn't know any different. I didn't know I wanted to stop drinking. I planned to drink until I died. I, I, I just, I, I just did. I thought I, I thought I was having a good time. I, it's yeah, what I, was, I knew. It's how I like knew to surrender cope. to it. Actually, at some point, you know, yeah. we talk about surrender here when we like surrender and, and 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 stop. You know, when we end up like a really good solid first step of surrender move. But I remember looking and surrendering to the fact that I'm just going to be a beer drinker the rest of my life. Yeah, I thought it's going to be me. You know, because I couldn't stop. Yeah. And and I didn't know there was another way out. I really didn't. I didn't know anything about. I'd been court ordered AA when I was a kid, too. But none of that come back to me like as a way to stop. Yeah. And I sure as hell couldn't tell anybody that I had a problem and ask for help. That was totally out of the question. I I yeah I agree. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I told one of my friends. I asked him. Um, he still he still drinks, but he drinks. You know, he's he's not, I don't think he's one of us. I don't diagnose people. He might be one day if he's not careful, but right now he's not. Um, but I asked him if he, uh, I told him I thought I had a problem. And he's like, man, he goes, once you ring that bell, you can't unring it. And uh, I was like, you're right, you're right. You know, <laughs> that's all I needed to hear. So you're like, right. once you say you had a problem, then yeah, yeah. it's kind of, yeah. Because yeah. once you walk into AA, man, it fucks yeah. up your drinking. It, Flat and simple, man. It's hard to go back and drink again after you've been in here and heard enough stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that was that was about January, okay? And I got, I got I told you I got sober in March. When I told him that, I was like, I think I got a problem. He's like, 
once you ring that bell, you can't unring it. I'm like, hey, you're right. You know, maybe I'm overreacting. It was just a wild weekend. Maybe I'm, I'm fine. You know, it got a little out of control. But uh, the driving, the extracurriculars started picking up more consistently. Um, and then, uh, you know, the last weekend... Uh, I was going to go to Nashville, and I, I sometimes wonder, I'm glad I didn't, but I sometimes wonder how things would have been if I'd gone to Nashville. But I changed my mind at the last minute, decided to stay in town um, to watch uh, my son. Um, he was competing in, uh, he, he did uh, Cub Scouts, and it was um, the uh, Pinewood Derby. Mm-hmm. And he was in... Uh, he was in, I can't remember if it was regionals. He was doing one, districts, districts. And he was competing, and I decided to stay to watch him. Um, and then that night, that Saturday night, uh, some friends picked me up to go out. Uh, we went out, and uh, we ended up at my favorite bar about 1 or 2 in the morning. And I got a hold of some, uh, some stuff to really uh, finish the night off strong. And then the next day uh, was a Sunday. I woke up, uh, got a little bit of sleep, not much. Woke up, started drinking again. Um, and at some point I walked out to, uh, to get the mail or something and noticed that the front right, right tire of my Escape was exploded, shredded. Well, if you remember, I said I got picked up to go out that night. And uh, I'm like, what the? And so I texted uh, my favorite bartender, and I texted another guy, and I was like, did I drive last night? And both of them were like, I don't know. And I was like, man, so this is Sunday afternoon. I've got a shredded tire. I've got to work the next day. I've already been drinking for a few hours. Well, I'll, I'll keep drinking tonight, and I'll deal with it in the morning. You know, I, th- I thought I could just put on spare, go to work, and... Um, deal with in the morning so I keep drinking all night long till about one in the morning and I get up at probably then I was getting up about six to try to be at work at 6 40 um but I I so I, I set my alarm I get up at five in the morning been asleep like four hours and I look at that that escape and I mean there's so much damage done to it that I to the tire luckily it was just literally the tire and the rim that I, there was no putting a um putting a spare on it and going to work and I was just I don't know how to explain it I was just so emotionally done um I was scared and so um Uber wasn't really I wonder if Uber had been a thing Uber was probably a thing it just wasn't as prevalent and so uh which I'm kind of mad that came along after I stopped drinking. Yeah. You know how much money I could have saved and maybe I wouldn't have drank and drove yeah, as I much. I got a friend who had like a personal Uber driver for a while. You know, he didn't drive anywhere. He thought that was being responsible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, kind of pat himself on the back, you know, that he could, you know, hey, man, I'm not driving. I am. Uh, shit face when I show up at work at 7 in the morning, but because uh, <laughs> I'm taking an Uber to work in the morning because I'm drunk. Um, <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I uh, I just don't know what to do, man. Um, and so I called one of my buddies um, who works for my company. It's 5.30 in the morning, and he answered. And he doesn't have to work till more like 8. Um, and he answered the phone. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I told him what happened. I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, I'll be right over. Um, he goes, call your assistant 
or and tell him he needs to work open and you're not going to be on work that day and um so he gets over and i start explaining to him what i've been doing and how long i've what I, you know all these things and at some point I, I told him and i think i scared the hell out of him i, I told him I, I wanted to die it's like i just i'm miserable i want to die i don't I, and so that freaked him out um and he uh he had called another one of our friends to come over. I'm really close to both these guys, so I was like, yeah, that's fine, bring them over. Well, unbeknownst to me, this is kind of a funny backstory. is um, about 10 years before this, um, there was a guy that worked for our company, um, and uh, I met him. I hadn't even met him, I don't think. I talked to him on the phone once, a two-minute conversation where he called me, asked me a question. I didn't know the answer to the question. And he hung up on me. And I disliked that guy for 10 years over that two-minute conversation. Because that's his personality. He was extremely short, right? That's just how he was. And uh, what's funny is about a year before all this happened, that guy left our company. Um, about a year before all this went down, uh, he was really close to my boss. And uh, he came into my store to get some stir sticks or something from me he needed for some kind of um, you know charity thing. And I was like, I know, I was like, that doesn't seem like the same guy. He seems happier. He doesn't seem as, as much of an asshole. You know, something seems different about that guy. Huh. Well, fast forward to this day, um, this morning, my, both these guys are in my living room and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and, um, my buddy Tim's like, do you care if I reach out to John? You know, he used to drink a lot and he doesn't drink anymore. I'm like, I don't care. That's fine. That's fine. So he calls up John and, uh, John, unbeknownst to me is in uh, a 12-step program and he shows up with his sponsor and and they start talking to me and for whatever reason the first time you know I was fairly honest I'd, I don't know how you were whenever I'd go to the doctors throughout the years if they asked how much I drink I'd so downplay it because what they oh, considered yeah. a heavy drinker was you know what I did on a <laughs> Tuesday Tuesday yeah once a week and they're saying do you do this more than once whatever and you're like what but anyway so uh they came over and they they're talking to me and I, at one point i remember i was like i don't know why i do what i do but once you know once i, I can't i can't once i put a even one drink of alcohol in me i can't control where things are going to go and uh they go we we understand we know why you do what you do and so they asked me to uh go ch uh, get evaluated at the brook um, and, uh, they asked me to go to a meeting with them the next, the next day. And, uh, so, uh, I did, I went and I went to get evaluated at the, the brook. And for the first time in years, I'd even seen a therapist. I'd started seeing a therapist, um, right before this, probably for about a month to try to work through some things. And, uh, the only thing I wasn't honest with her about was drinking because I knew what she was going to say. Yeah. Well, so, um, I go, and, and in my intake, I was completely honest for probably the first time in my life. And uh, and I was just beaten. I, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, I told my boss, and I told my, my grandmother. Um, and that might have helped me early on um, stay accountable. Because I, I, I basically, and I told the mother of my son what I was going to do. She was very supportive. Um she decided to work with me on uh, allowing me to go to meetings and I did outpatient through the brook um, 
and I started doing meetings. And uh, so you didn't go to a detox? I did not. Uh, you know, I did not. They let me do outpatient, and um, and uh, was that you? Did they want you to come in? Mm-hmm. Really? No, I went in that day. They evaluated me. They said start, start. Uh, I don't know if I started Wednesday because that was Monday, and that's why my uh, you know my sponsor says I don't get to count that Monday, even though I hadn't drank. Basically, I stopped drinking late Sunday night, probably <clears throat> Monday around one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, carried you so, over to. Yeah, he gave me Tuesday as my <clears throat> my sobriety day. Yeah. Um, Them's the rules in AA. Those are the rules. Uh, and I remember you know, my the, nicotine quitting world today, you stop is your day. It is? Yeah. But yeah. none of the calculators, like the apps and stuff, none of them operate that way. So you got to lie a day in order okay. to have your numbers right. <laughs> you know, that's one, one vice I never picked up was smoking because um, I think it was my mom smoked so much that it just, I mean, I don't know what, I, I swear she was like a two-pack-a-day smoker yeah. until the end. And it just never, I, but I would have been. If I had ever picked it up, who knows how much I would have smoked. But uh, so, uh, so you did an outpatient. Did you uh, do like the normal 20-day uh, LP kind of thing that most yeah, of us do? it feels did? like it was two months. Really? I don't know how long it was, uh, the outpatient. It was three days a week. It was at night, oh. six to nine at night. And then I was doing meetings. And I uh, will tell you funny, when, uh, when they were, uh, I call it a 12-step, it probably wasn't a traditional 12 step when John and Clyde came over, but, uh, they, uh, I was down for the rehab option. I was down for the, um, I knew I had a problem, but they said, you you know, there's these meetings and, and that's the one thing I was like, Ooh, how often you go to these meetings? And they're like, well, you know, early on, you need to go almost every day and we go a lot. And I go, Man, I'm a busy guy. You know, I got a a job and a son I have three days a week. I don't know about these meetings now (laughs) all the time. Uh, So that was the only hesitation I had. But my, uh, I I think you you might have forgotten that I mentioned this, but my first meeting was that Tuesday night emotional sobriety. Yeah, I think I recall it. 6 p.m. I I, I missed that meeting. There was some great people in there, and and it was a smaller meeting, which I needed. I'm not extremely comfortable talking in front of big groups still. I need to work on that. Um, but you guys made me feel really welcome, uh, and I made it part of my regular rotation. Uh, I did the outpatient. I stopped seeing my therapist until I was done because she is not a addiction um, specialist by any means. And, and so she's like, let's wait till you get done, and then we'll start again and try to do all this. Um, and so... You know, early early on, um, I didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, I knew I'd committed to this, to my family, my work, uh, and some people. But, you know, there's rough times. I'm used to what I'm used to. Um, but I would, I would do the, I'd do two meetings a week probably and, and uh, the outpatient. And then when I got done with that, I maybe upped it a little bit. Um that guy that I didn't like, uh, who was the one who showed up. I don't know if you got that part of the story. Sorry. The guy that I, that was John, who I didn't like years ago. He was now my, yep. he, he had gotten sober and, and, uh, he, uh, he's my sponsor, still my sponsor to this day. Really? Um, yeah, he, uh, it's funny cause we, we, he tells that sometimes about what that, that story he likes telling it too, that I thought he was an asshole. Uh, and he'll admit he was, <laughs> Uh, but uh, he's a good guy, and um, you know, 
I don't know, that first year um, was tough, but I think a lot of it I stayed I stayed in the middle and, and tried to talk to guys like you as much as I could. Uh, probably not enough. Um, Apparently but, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've still got this. I'm still with that same company that I've been 14, no, I'm sorry, 16 years uh, now. 16 years in June. I've been with the company. I, uh, they were luck. Uh, they worked with me. I didn't have to miss any work because I did the outpatient. Um, you know, but I did make them aware. It's funny looking back. I would have told you that I was, I never rarely got hung over, you know, unless I drank shots or, uh, or uh, got into. I was big into Jaeger there for a while, and I would tell you, unless I hit it too hard, I wasn't. I wasn't ever hung over, and you know, I was good at my job and all these things. Well, you're, you know, six months of not drinking, and you realize I was hung over every day. It was just how badly was I hung over, right? And then. Uh, you know, I became so much better at my job because, you know, again, I, I didn't drink on those nights. I didn't have my son for a long time, but I was so, um, what's the word, uh, you know, I've, I've used miserable a lot, but it was like uh, grouchy. I don't know what I want to say, but you know, typical restless, irritable, yeah, yeah. And discontent stuff, That's man. What I, That's I was very irritable. Moment. That's what I was searching Cause for. Because when I'm not drinking, I am irritable yeah. as shit. And I mean, you can't, you know, every little thing is a pain and, you know. I, so I was just trying to get to the next day I could drink on those days I wasn't drinking. Um, so it's funny how once you reflect on some things, you can realize that. Uh, yeah, so much stuff gets a lot clearer in that rearview mirror. You know, when I look back at the time, I didn't have a clue. But now I go doing, and after doing inventory and, and getting some clarity with a sponsor and support group, people like that. I can see some of that stuff back there. I can relate totally with you, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, the reason I mostly didn't have a hangover is because I was drunk all the time, <laughs> you know. And, and and that really was the fact of the matter is, is by morning, you know, I'm still buzzing, yeah. you know. And, and what I would do is I would, my personal, I didn't have nothing keeping me from drinking three nights a week or anything. So the only thing I could do is, like, try to get over that in the morning and feel a little better. You know, it was you know, it wasn't hangover per se, and I'd argue with you if you told me it was. Yeah. But you know, by lunchtime, I'm looking to going at the clock. I'm seeing it's going to be four o'clock, five o'clock in a little while, and I'll be back across the street to get some more, and I'll get going again. So it never really ever left my system. A hangover technically is a withdrawal. Is it right? Yeah. And uh, and that's one of the things about alcohol is is that as long as our blood alcohol is raised, our blood alcohol limit or uh, content is is raising, we feel good. We feel good, feel good, feel good. That's why we keep keep on drinking, keep on drinking. The minute our we we kick over the edge and we stop drinking for whatever reason, and our blood alcohol content starts dropping, that's when things go to shit for us. Mm-hmm. That's when we feel like crap, and that's when it starts popping down, you know. And that's actually that is part of that withdrawal kind of syndrome. And when actually you know, so uh, yeah, I'd I'd argue with you that that yeah, I don't get hangovers. I said it for years. I, I, I remember in college, I used to joke that my alcohol level had too much blood in it. That was one of my jokes. I had a yeah. few. That I thought I was clever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did think we were cute. Yeah, I, I definitely thought I was. But, uh, you know, I uh, I feel very lucky. Um, because I, I remember, and I, I told my therapist at one point, you know, it sounds like things just transitioned into some smooth road for me. But I told my therapist, I think I was about six, eight months in. Um, and I told her at one point, I was like, I just need you to keep this train on the tracks as long as possible because it's coming back off again. 
and I'm just trying to mm. keep because I, I really didn't think things were going to work out. I was I was still I was finally starting to resolve some of those things. You know, you you call it trauma. She used word trauma from early on. Um, it's just the best word I can yeah. come up with that and, kind of surround that wraps it up. Yeah, I don't. Sometimes people want to equip, make uh, uh, attach like violence to trauma or something like that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. It's just stuff that affects us in a in a, such a uh, traumatic yeah. way. You know, it's it's very impactful. Yeah, that sticks with us. And um, but but somehow you know there were a couple things. I went to one place uh, out in Lagrange that gave out. Um, Every month they would give out a chip. You My know, home group does, and it, it really helped to have that because that goal, um, you know. And then I, I uh, you know, you said something at the beginning that always sticks with me is uh, my counselor in IOP uh, said that he thinks people could, um, anybody could benefit from this program, whether they deal with with alcohol and drug addiction or or even if they have what they think is no problems in the world it's just a good program of design for living um well he said that which i liked but there were uh, he he was on me about a couple different things um that he didn't like how i was handling and so he told me i wasn't going to stay sober if i didn't address those two things and so I, I used him as motivation to stay sober because I wasn't going to allow him to be right ah. <laughs> for that first year. So the, those were a few things that probably helped me because, I mean, you know, like, you, as you know, first year's tough. Yeah. I remember when you first, when you were around, you know, and I, I could see that you wanted it. You know, there was something you didn't want to drink anymore. That's really what you, I mean, you were not wanting the misery, right? Yeah. And you knew that. But you, know, but you really wasn't convinced that you weren't going to drink again, right? Oh, no, not. And, no. and that you'd had to give it up. And you did have a wall up, and you would joke about it, and you'd make light of it at some yeah. level in your shares and stuff about, you know. Well, I struggle uh, to talk in front of people. That's one of my issues is uh, I have some social anxiety. Yeah, and would use maybe the comedic effect yeah. to, to kind of get over that. But, you know, you always, I could always tell that you were you trying to keep things at arm's length, you know. And, and me, I'm sitting there with an ankle bracelet on, trying to keep from going to prison for six to 20 years to what the judge told me was going to happen. And so like I, my mind that whole time is going, if you drink Dan, that is what, you know, it'll be, it'll be cha-ching, bing, bang, clang, the door shut and you're in jail. Now, actually I knew, found out later on that I had a couple mulligans in that. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if I ever told that story in my, in my podcast or not. I don't think I did, but they didn't, uh, I didn't get the rule book until I was 90 days in. And uh, and and I always thought that was kind of funny because that was one of my things. I was like, I always felt like I was like, just playing this thing in the middle, and I didn't know where to go. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know. I I like I knew I wasn't going to break a rule on purpose. What I was scared of doing is breaking a rule by accident that I wasn't aware of, and that's what would keep on happening. Yeah. Is I would find out the rules by either breaking them or like not taking advantage of things I could take advantage of. Like one time they said, "Well, how come you're only going to your mom's house for an hour on Sunday?" I said, well, that's all they told me I could do. And they yeah. were, no, you've been in here for 90 days. Uh, you can go over for a couple hours now. Okay. You know, it was just like whoop-de-doo, right? Yeah. But still, they were asking that, you know. And I was like, you know, and I laughed that day. And I looked at her. And this was a girl I'd never, you had to go down there and talk to, uh -huh. check in. And this is a gal that I'd never had to check in before with. You know, you had normal people. If they were on vacation or whatever, or was out sick, you might end up having to go check in with somebody that wasn't your normal uh, corrections officer person yeah. you were talking to. And she goes, they didn't give you the handbook? 
And I laughed and I was like, I thought she was joking. You know, yeah. I was like, no, they didn't give me the handbook. <laughs> and she goes, she pulls out, she pulls this, she opens this drawer behind the desk real slow too. And she's looking at me right in the eyes when she's doing it, like I'm doing you now. Yeah. And she pulls it out and she reaches in and she picks it up and she shows it to me. She holds it up and it says HIP participant guidelines on it or oh, handbook wow. or something and i said and i go no they never gave me one of those and she like real carefully is like look at me and she puts it back in the drawer <laughs> and she shuts the drawer she goes okay we'll talk to somebody about that oh, and she yeah. moves on i'm like and then my mind is telling me she's going what has this dude done that's he they're not giving him the handbook oh, that's how you took it but you know by this point where i was going with that is that by that point uh-huh. i finally got a handbook and I read in there that I had some mulligans under my belt. Uh-huh. I could have like failed a couple blood alcohol tests, and they wouldn't. I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Yeah. But my, I thought that I would go straight to jail if I if I screwed it up, you know. So actually, was another one higher power doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. At uh, well, I tell you from early that I on, I thought the jail cells was going to close on me the minute I drank. So I had a lot of a lot of. To circle all the way back is I had all these consequences leaning on me or perceived consequences leaning on me. And I run into people and what I perceived like with you that really didn't have that kind of uh, ass on fire, you know, one 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 false move and you're screwed kind of deal. And and I could feel like those that that keeping it like I'm not sure I want to buy into your shit. I'm not like the rest of you guys. I'm not as bad as you are. Uh, you know, I, well, I would tell you from the beginning, I thought you had it together. You seemed like you were motivated from the different people I would see in the I rooms. was motivated. Um, <laughs> I was motivated but, uh, to stay sober, man. I wanted to stay out of prison. I always enjoyed your shares. I always enjoyed your shares. Um, but uh, I wouldn't say, I thought I was one of you all. Um, or no, I, I knew I was one of you all. I just... Uh, I just didn't know. I don't know what I just. Well, first of all, I was. I'm. I'm a little bit shy in those set, settings, and then. Uh, I uh, there were other reasons I was. Uh, you know, uh, I, I. I don't like bringing this up because people get weirded out about it. But I. Uh, I struggle with the, religious aspects. Hell and, yeah, man! And uh, so that that was. Uh, it's a big block for all of yeah, us. That was probably why you were seeing more trepidation it wasn't about that i you know was well, that's a travesty at some level yeah. because now we know it's not that right yeah. i mean you know that this is not a religious program that you guys subscribe to these other things but we come in the door thinking that or at least I thought, I thought it because yeah. i was seeing god and i knew what that was y'all been telling me about that from church when <laughs> i was a little kid and all this i knew what that was yeah. and i don't subscribe to that yeah. you know I, I don't do that and uh but, now, if I remember right, didn't it take you a while to get to where you were working the steps? Didn't you have some? Yes. Um, so my, my sponsor. Because uh, that's another surrender thing, you know, when you're not like I was like, give me steps. I will eat them. Really? I want them for lunch okay. because I do not. I just didn't want to go to prison, man. I had two cars in their house yeah. and all this stuff going on for me in life, man. And my, my next stop on the end of the street was prison. Well, and people were saying, work these steps. You don't go to jail. And I was OK. I will take them. In IOP, they make you, they want you to get at least to, uh, I forget now, it's been, but like four, three or four step maybe, uh, because of the percentages, you know, it's a numbers game of how many people uh, stay sober. Um, and so I did them in that, I, I got to a certain point in that uh, atmosphere, but then my sponsor was like, let's, um, let's start over. 
you know, and um, him and I struggled. We're on different schedules, and so we struggled to consistently meet. So we started and maybe got through the first two or three um, and then just couldn't consistently meet. So he's like, look, you, you've got to get through these. Um, you know, you've, you've gotten this far, but you've got to – you got to do something about this. So uh, I, I started a step study about, you know, I've, I, if you ask me when I completed steps, it will be around 16 months in. So, and it was an 18-week step study. So some, t- you know, 18 weeks before that I started. I don't know why I'm getting all tongue-tied on this, but that's yeah, how but I did you the went, steps. Yeah, you did your first trip through steps was, was to with the step study. Step study. Um, and, and I liked it because I had to hold accountable. You know, to, it, it, we're meeting each week. There's things to get done. Now, interesting enough, um, I've, I've also done, since then, I've done the Back to Basics um, once uh, when, when Robbie uh, was still, before he moved to Florida, him and his wife did those consistently. Uh, somebody else, I believe, has taken up that mantra now. But anyway, I did that. Um, well, then these last few months, I've been uh, especially irritable. Uh, some people in the in the rooms have been irritating me consistently and it's it's all me i mean i'm the one who has issues but anyway uh so i decided i need to do the steps again so i'm doing them again right now with uh, with a guy um who's very like-minded with some things on me and and we uh we finished uh um we're about week five or so of doing them, uh, second or third. So I'm redoing them right now. Well, um, good, man. Yeah, because it is a thing. And my lineage yeah. is that you do them yeah. on a regular basis, you know. And I'm in the steps right now. Are you? Yeah. And, that's and a little, what little threesome we got going on, to me and two other guys. Actually, they asked me to take them through the steps. And I said, and we kind of all agreed, how about we just go through together, the that's three cool. of us. And we've all got a little time. Yeah. Uh, and well, this guy's doing them kind of – He'll have me do it, and then we'll 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 uh, basically read through it and do it together. So uh, it's not my sponsor. I'm doing it with someone else. But um, yeah, I just felt I was like, man, I just don't. I haven't felt right for a little bit, and um, I was like, I need to go through these again. It's been I don't remember when I did that back to basics. That was at least two years ago, and I was like, it's been too long. I need to do it, you know. And I try to go to three to five meetings a week. Um, I can tell you, there's been times I've been closer to two a week, and I can tell a big difference when I'm down there uh but um I also think I need to get a little variety going you know you see some of the same people here some of the same things you just need a little variety I think but uh things are going well I've, I've been much more successful at my job um you know I told you I thought I was good at my job I was fairly ex- uh, successful but um I'd only won one award while I was drinking I've won three in the four years I've been sober yeah um it's a lot easier to do your work when you're not irritable uh and uh you know things my son is is awesome he's he's about to start seventh grade i still have him about three to four days a week i get along with his mother her fiance really well um you know things things are going real well in my life yeah that's what uh one of the things you know as i do as i talk about this and we talk um i always I really am interested in watching and hearing about how people's upbringing, because there's something to that, no doubt. And, and I heard it from you, you know, and yeah. you, so the stories vary greatly, yeah. but there's always some stuff that's going on in our childhood and stuff. And, uh, and I believe that we're alcoholics born that way. I, I really do. I do. Uh, I, I hear a little I bit agree. of this stuff and you can read into some literature and stuff that would have you maybe believe that you can drink yourself into alcoholism or whatever. And maybe you can, 
uh, majority of people I talk to, if I go back and listen to them, I hear that they've had that issue inside from childhood and circumstances uh, uh, exasperated that and caused them to have, you know, these, like I said, these trauma events and these things that we don't know how to deal with. And, uh, and we don't have tools or parents around to be able to talk to us about, you know, that you can go to. You know, I see that in some places once in a while where I see some kid that has this parent that they can go to and talk to stuff where their parent is uh, uh, insightful enough to like open up these conversations and do that. And I have a great mom and dad and they would offer that kind of stuff to me, but I could not, stuff happened to me, I couldn't possibly tell them about. I just couldn't, man, I mean, I was, I had these sexual relations with a little kid when I was like in the four or five years old kind of range. Yeah. And I don't even think that made it onto my podcast. Okay. I, don't, I don't think it did. And, and, and really, I carry that even today at some level more so than I would like to admit yeah. of some confusion and some stuff about not knowing what to do with that. And I know rationalizing it today, looking at it and going and not rationalize it in a negative manner, but in a true manner, I can look at that and know that it was just a couple of kids experimenting and it was completely natural and there was nothing wrong with it. And I didn't have to. But what it made me feel was dirty. Yeah. And I started getting some signals from someplace else that told me that was wrong. You know, and I, and I held on to that, you know, and I questioned my sexuality as I grew up uh-huh. and, and, and any, like if you would like to try to put something on me that direction, well, I would really lash back about, yeah. you know, if you'd even hint around at me being gay or yeah. anything like that. And I also had to like act out the other way to prove that I was a male and that I was not. And, you know, and today I don't have any of those feelings in my heart anymore. You know, I, I think they're born that way and you just are who you are and I'm okay with who you are. Yeah. But I didn't know how to deal with that. And I sure as hell couldn't tell my parents about it. You know, so I like these stories of this. And then also, you know, we hear about the, how it happened, about how we, you know, all that. And I know the big book talks about it. What, what, what it was like, what happened and what it's yeah. like now makes it pretty simple. What it was like is all that stuff when we were kids and all this, you know. A lot of people want to look at that like, a lot of people's stories will start when they first started drinking or something, you know, yeah. and, and there's so much before that. My childhood affected me, you know, a lot. My grandmother would let me talk to her, but, you know. And she was probably wise enough, you know, because of that age thing, you know, where she was, you know, my, my parent, you're, she's just got a lot more years on yeah. her, you know, so she's got some wisdom and able to look at you and open that. But you probably weren't able to like, I didn't do want it. to talk. I did. She, you know, I just didn't want to talk about it. And okay, Grandma. No, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. Day's been great. I'm good. You know. I don't mind kids were making fun of me all day. I'm great. I'm yeah, good. I'm okay. You know? No big deal. And uh, I didn't let that know, but uh, I agree. I and I hate to put, I hate to personally put, put what happened, my issues, and how I dealt with life as an adult on my childhood because I think a lot of people had much harder childhoods yeah, than absolutely, me. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think, and that's why... And and it's not a blame thing either, though, but it's also there's a cause and condition thing, just like the book says when we're going back and look at this. We're looking, we're fact-finding, fact-facing, looking for causes and conditions to what brought us to where we're at today. And that's the facts. Your story is your facts, and that's, you know... I think reflecting is important. And that's, uh, I've tried to do that through the program and through therapy. I've I've tried to do it dually um, a couple different ways. And that's why, again, my motivation... uh, you hear a lot of people say you have to do it for yourself, and I agree, you do. You do have to do it for yourself. But my son's been a big motivation to me because I want him to have every uh, ability to um, be raised in a stable environment, and, and you know we'll go from there. If, if well, that's where I was actually circling back around about how we do this, how I like to play it out, because I want, and you've talked about a little bit of it, but you glossed over a little of it, of. Um, 
you know, like, uh, like I said, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And, like, what it's like today is like what my – if you've heard me talk, I've talked about this miracle list yeah. I have of this stuff that that's happened to me and the things like the miracle of the fact that the, fa- the father you can be today because of recovery. And that's right. Because you couldn't possibly be that, could you? Well, we're always a work in process. Yeah. But, I mean, can I mean, if you would sit there and you look at the, the guy who uh, – how old is your son now? He's uh, 12. Yeah, so be, uh, you know, let's go yeah, 15 okay. years ago. What yeah. you were doing and the way you were uh, behaving. And if you were that guy today trying to raise this son, yeah. you're a completely different You're a completely different guy. I mean, it's night and day. We kind of put downplay that about what, what we were like and try to, like, put that and forward. I, Since I carry a lot of that. I didn't get sober until my kids were in, like, 8, 10 years old type of range you know so i know a lot of the damage i did to them actively drinking because like you were saying i didn't stay sober when they were with me and when their mom was off working and doing stuff and we were together and even after the divorce and stuff and i couldn't stay sober uh, they were with me and i watched i saw the eyes of my kids look down to see if that beer was in my hand and the look that they would look up at me when they knew that i was drinking and not knowing what dad they were going to get when i got home so like i really wanted you know there is a different thing dude i mean this is the miracle of being a sober father is a miracle uh these trips that you won these i've seen you on these these things of work that's another thing you know there's no way you're winning these awards and getting these that was usually what the award is if I'm uh, not mistaken, yes, you get yes. to go someplace really if, cool. If, if, uh, yeah, the biggest, yes, the the highest honor is you get to go one of the places, and those yeah. are different trips to take sober, but they're fun. You yeah, know, you know, other people are. Definitely those are miracles, man. You don't get that in your life, or I wouldn't. I I'd, I'm going to venture to say that you wouldn't have those things happen in your life if you were still. Uh, I don't think so. The guy you were either either sober or, uh, if you were still drinking, or just not drinking without yeah. a program, right? That's just as miserable as as oh. being drunk right yeah so, i think it would be I think so that's why i want to say that, that the fact that we've worked these steps and you've done this work ends up being putting you in a position where you get to be able to have these things happen the universe uh uh it's all out there for us we just have to put ourselves in a position to be able to receive it we do and i don't know how you feel but i feel like i'm as comfortable in my skin as i've been in my entire life oh me um, too i know i am yeah i am me today yeah, yeah. and i think I, I told you earlier that uh I felt like I was a better person at like 16, 17 than I was most of my adulthood. I feel like I'm starting to get back to that. Um, not totally back there, you know. I still have plenty of flaws and and, uh, and things, but I, I'm much better and I'm, I'm happier. Uh, like anybody else, we have good days and bad. But Yep, and you're taking measures to when it comes up. That's the other thing. You know, I just talk a lot about course correction, you know, when you felt yourself being restless, irritable, discontent again and having some things go on, man, and now you're taking another trip through the steps with a new teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you're going to pick up new tools because you're only going to be able to get so much from your other teacher. I don't yeah. care how good they are, and I'm not. that's not a knock because I think that's the way this program is supposed to work. I think it means we're supposed to get with this guy and go through the steps with this person and work through with this person. And then we, we get we get what we can get here, you know, yeah. and, and not get by like, but but we learn. This teacher teaches us certain, teach certain different things. Ways and, and then we get another set of teachings from another person. Different perspectives. And I love that thought of going through, you know, and that's the other thing that happens to me. I'm fortunate in the fact that I get to sponsor a lot of guys. I get asked to sponsor a lot of guys. And every time I go through the steps with somebody, it's like going through the steps myself, too. Because I sit there and I listen to a guy tell me about things and I watch what he writes and the things he does and I'm going, yeah, that's the mirror's turned around on me, <laughs> and uh, and I get to see that stuff, you know, doing fist steps with people and saying, yeah, me too, yeah, me too. 
Me too. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how we we have similar we. You know, it's like we say we're similar, but we're also very unique. Yep. You know, in the way we got to where we got. But I think a lot of similarities once we, of how we felt and about life and ourselves and different things. So, I feel like you've, uh, a lot of times what happens, and that's what I like about this longer format. Uh-huh. Uh, have you gotten an opportunity to speak behind the podium? I've shared my story, uh, I think, three times. Yeah. So, you know, it feels a little rushed, right? Because you're in between that 10 minutes after the hour to the 10 minutes before the hour. and It does. And, and, uh, and uh, I also, I told you, this is a little more comfortable environment for me. Uh, for whatever reason, I've come a long way, but I, I struggle uh, speaking in front of people, um, especially larger groups. Yeah. Yeah, this makes it pretty easy. I like, uh, I really like doing this because I get to like look you in the eyes. I get you to myself. There's like a selfishness that I get to hear your story all by myself well, before the rest of podcast listeners even get it. Yeah. I get to sit here and do that. And there's a connection that happens between me and every person sitting here. Now we've known each other for a few years, yeah. and the same thing with some other people who have said across here. Yeah. You know, my first guests were my sponsees, and I knew them pretty well. Yeah. But I knew them better Afterwards. after sitting here and and doing this exchange of uh, of stories. Uh, behind these microphones because after a little bit the microphones disappear they, and then we're do, just talking do. they're just yeah. talking we're kind of talking like we'd be talking at a bar or something you know it's yeah. got that kind of where we're just uh sitting someplace uh uh sharing one another's journeys it's, with it's, each other it's a good thing you do here yeah oh now that <laughs> hasn't happened for a while <laughs> that's interesting i think that's dan's way of telling me we need to wrap up yeah, folks that's a my air compressor comes on quite often, and I thought I had it turned off. I hadn't actually been in the shop that often. Yeah. Uh, what I do like to offer a guy, because uh, you did a great job today, and I loved hearing your story. One thing I was just wondering, well, one thing I do is ask if you got any concluding thoughts, if there's anything you want to share, if there's anything you want to uh, say about your journey or talk to a new guy or anything of that nature that you might want to do to close this and feel complete in your time here. Well, I'd just say, you know, early on, you know, there's a lot of, is this going to work? Is it a better way of living? Is, uh, can I do it? And, and I think, you know, we'll both attest that, uh, it's just, it's so nice. There's certain things, for example, I'll just give you a quick example is I love sports. And when I was drinking, I would not go to sports games cause I didn't like to fight the uh, crowds. I didn't like to, whatever reason I didn't like to go to sporting events when I was drinking. Uh, and now in sobriety, I go to sporting events all the time. There's another miracle. Um, and so you can have fun and, and life is just a lot better when you can, uh, you know, get a fresh, uh, perspective on it. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, with this, that we don't have to live like that anymore, man. The, the, the no. world it really is, it's a little cliches, but the world is our oyster today. That's the way I feel about it. The world is my oyster. I get to do what I want to do today, man. I get to walk uh, and go places. And like you said, like that, you know, I go to music festivals where I used to not, I couldn't imagine not going, I couldn't imagine going to concerts sober. Uh, and, and today I love to do it. You know, I have a blast going and watching. And, and There's and things I never thought I'd do. I, I, I run. Uh, I don't run a lot, but I do run occasionally now, and that's something I would have never, th- you know, and yeah. there's just different things. You do different things. You do some of the same things, too. You yeah. just do them sober. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I did that uh, fell off the wayside, too, that didn't follow me into or haven't followed me into sobriety yet. You know, I used to play some golf. That's something that fell off. There's some other things. Uh, I still haven't really completely learned to fish. I used to love to fish. 
and I haven't completely learned to fish sober. It's just something that has not taken a, a priority. I've, I love to hunt, and I still go out in the woods, and I do that part of it, and I do that sober today. But uh, there's some things that follow me in, and of course, I've picked up a lot of new things that I never thought I would be doing, uh, sober or it's drunk. Funny how that work? Yeah, uh, you caught me on a yoga mat. I'd have shot you. <laughs> uh, I still can't do that. I yeah. can't stay focused long enough. Ah, yeah. yet. Yeah, well, yet. Uh, well, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, uh, our friend, you know, you, I say it over and over, and I, I know people probably may think it's disingenuous, but uh, but it's not. I have a host of friends around me that just blow me away, and I, and a lot of them mean a lot to me. And these kind of the guys that, like, when you were early on together, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, it's like a battle buddy thing. It's like combat it's buddies, fun. in a sense, you know, when you're kind of in that early recovery together. And there's a bond that happens. It, it, it does for me, anyway, that I, I think of the, like, I will see you for the rest of my life when I see you, and I will think about that and the thing that we went through together and what we've done and how we've uh, come out through the other side. It's just I an honor to have these friends. Uh, mentioning that emotional sobriety meeting because it was just so influential that first year. Yeah, it was me too, man. And now thinking the name of it and all that, and no, we don't. I'm not going to quit beating the drum on that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what I say two for Tuesdays. I was doing that and turn around and going yeah. spiritual underground right after that, and it was, it was uh, my juice day. It still is, you know. Tuesdays are are still my anchor, even though that. And you know what I do now? And one of the things that happened is that I started using that time before the Tuesday night meeting. What, one of the things that pulled me away from the spiritual underground was I was, or from the emotional sobriety meeting was I started sponsoring guys and I was using that time before the meeting to meet with people and so I was still getting uh, yeah. a big dose of heavy duty recovery in my life I just wasn't getting it through that meeting and it's just sacrifices you had to make sometimes you know uh, we do that one of the things is today you know another thing I say is that uh, I have so many good things so many good things choices of things to do in my life I can't possibly do them all I gotta pick what I'm gonna do? We do. We you know, do. like tonight. You know, I got I got so many cool things to do tonight. I got things that I can do tomorrow night. Uh, you know that that I had to actually pick, and and I and I can't say yes to everything. No, we can't. I want to thank you for having me on. I, I think I needed to do this. So. Yeah, it's fun. I yeah. like it, man. I'm a, I'm juiced up afterwards. It takes a little bit of emotional toll for me. Uh, I don't really understand exactly what that's about, but I always have a little. I have to schedule a little downtime right afterwards. Okay. Of like there's an emotional outpouring of connecting with somebody yeah. that like I uh, and uh, Dave was here and he said that's he was talking about some science behind that about how when you give of yourself like this yeah because I'm intent in listening to you you uh -huh. know and I'm like I'm really trying to engage and listen well, I and, always uh, feel like I'm I'm boring people but hopefully I kept you entertained yeah no you did uh, I, I'm I am every one of these stories man I'm just uh, I'm just engaged I'm just uh, I'm enthusiastic at hearing them. And, and I love to hear stories of 12-step recovery specifically. And, you know, I've been branching out a little bit, having some other people talk about recovery stuff, too. I've got a girl, one, one of the more recent ones was a gal come on from Dallas, Texas, that, and talked about rec uh, divorce recovery, okay. recovering from divorce, because that's a traumatic event in oh, your life, yeah. you know, and then one of the hardest things I've ever went through was go through that. We had a guy could come on talk about uh, cessation from nicotine and getting uh, recovering from addiction to that drug, yeah. you know. And it was again, I have that in my story, and it was I, I didn't give it the credit that I should that it, that I should have given it from the beginning. I said, you know, I'd quit harder things, and nicotine wouldn't be a big deal. And quitting nicotine kicked my ass. Yeah. 
I've, I know it. Uh, I know a lot of people that struggle with that. I, uh, I'm hoping that this will also maybe make me a little more comfortable next time I tell my story. Yeah, that's our thing. You know, a few people's been able to do this, and this is their very first time speaking, so they like yeah. get to do this behind this uh, microphone and get that uh, together. And you know, it'll be out there, so you can go listen to it again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to hear my before voice, you. But. Everybody gets kind of funny about that. Yeah. I. Um, ah. So, man, thank you. Um, spiritualgrounderground.org you can come out and see a picture uh, of the guests on the show and there's a contact me page anything like recovery base that you think I might be able to help you with uh, and, and um, I encourage feedback for the podcast too it's really doing well and keeps on gaining listeners and, and growing so thank you all for listening and that uh, it's just um, I, will, I, will, I will do that in my closing uh, dtmww.net that's my little woodworking business and uh, handyman stuff if you're local I can I can I can send you woodwork abroad or whatever but uh, the handyman end of it has got to be I only can drive so far to do that so if you need anything done let me know um, music around this podcast is produced and by or is written by Darren Frank and uh, you know some of it's produced by Jesse Simpson too. So that's uh, got a couple of guys, brothers of mine, that are, that are putting the music together for the podcast. And Twelve Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn available at Amazon. So here's what I was stalling on just a minute ago. Thank you for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner because uh, this is another big, huge stone that um, cornerstone that, that helps keep me sober today. Peace out. I'm so tired of being in control Always telling me which way to go Don't move so fast, but that's way too slow This life is starting to take its toll I just need to get away Find some place I can escape Gonna drive all night till I find a new day Waiting for me So I got my headlights on in the middle of the night There's darkness all around but I still can see the light And I ain't slowing down cause it sure feels right And I'm looking that light up ahead Yeah, 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 yeah Up ahead Yeah, 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 yeah coming at me from all sides Feel stuck in the middle as worlds collide I do my best to take it all in stride But it's just so much I want to run and hide I just need to get away Find some place I can escape. Gonna drive all night till I find a new day. Wait for me. So I got my headlights.
of the night There's darkness all around But I still can see the light And I ain't slowing down Cause it sure feels right And I'm looking to that light up above.